Hi, I'm Brad Constantine, and this is a Come Follow Me podcast of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Although this is not an official podcast of the church, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. This year's study is the Book of Mormon. Each week, a new summary podcast of that week's Book of Mormon chapters will be released. But if you want a more detailed analysis of each individual chapter, those will also be available to listen to. I hope this Come Follow Me resource will be helpful to you. As always, you can subscribe to this podcast so you'll be notified each week of a new episode. I hope you like this uh, format. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast for the Come Follow Me series. This is going to be lesson number 15, and it's going to cover Mosiah chapters 1 through 3, and also for the period April 13th through the 19th. Now, as we begin the book of Mosiah, a couple of things I want you to notice. Uh, you'll notice that in the chapter heading for Mosiah, or the book heading for Mosiah, there is no heading. There's no introductory paragraph like there is for any for most of the other ones, like Alma, 1 Nephi, uh, even Helaman. Uh, there's no heading, uh, which is the uh, actually written by Moroni, or Mormon. So... Uh, there must be a reason for that. Last uh, lesson, we talked about the very last verse of the Words of Mormon, uh, that it sounded like uh, it mentioned that uh, King Benjamin had had peace in the land. So uh, I'm going to just have you notice in the beginning of verse 1, uh, he mentions now there was no more contention in all the land. That actually sounds more like a end of a chapter rather than a, the beginning of one. So I want to give you some ideas on on what may be going on here. Remember, we have 116 pages that are lost, and we believe that that was the book of Lehi, but it also may include a couple of chapters of Mosiah. So let me just read you a couple things here about this that uh, might uh, indicate that. Um, chapter, The first chapter of Mosiah in our current text does not begin in any expected way, just like I read. In the first place, we're missing the introductory material that Mormon included with all other books he edited. This strongly suggests that our Mosiah chapter 1 was not the beginning of the book of Mosiah. Uh, Royal Skousen, who's done a lot of research on the manuscript of the Book of Mormon, uh, indicates that, we have as, that what we have as Mosiah 1 was originally Mosiah chapter 3, or the third chapter of Mosiah, rather than the first. This, the same evidence indicates that while this, this was not a, a new book, it was a new chapter, based on the nature of chapter breaks, uh, can we make any inference about what is missing? Unfortunately, the beginning verse of our current Mosiah appears to be much more of a conclusion than a beginning. In, in, in more modern editing procedures, we might want to see, and now there was no more contention in all the land of Zarahemla among all the people who belonged to King Benjamin, so that King Benjamin had continual peace as the concluding section in, to a description of those contentions. So, so that's kind of how it reads at the end of the Words of Mormon. Uh, words of Mormon. Um, so there is some concern, not concern so much, is just interesting to note uh, that that may be the case, that our actual uh, Mosiah chapter 1 may actually be chapter 3 from the large plates um, instead of what we currently have. This uh, section is going to begin also a discussion of King Benjamin. Um, and so, uh, as, as others have said, this seems to be a, um, a um, Feast of Tabernacles event. That This is uh, surrounded maybe Yom Kippur, end of the year for the Jews. This is when the coronations of kings usually happen, was at the beginning of a new civil year, uh, which coincides with the Day of Atonement and Yom Kippur and, and uh, those uh, Jewish festivals, Jewish holidays. Um, 
So anyway, this this first chapter then of um, of Mosaic chapter one. Remember that now we're reading in the third person also. These are not uh, where he's saying I did this or I did that, um, but he's uh, this is quoting now from uh, from Mormon's abridgment, and so that's why this the tenor of this is going to be a little bit different to you. Um, Anyway, King Benjamin is calling forth his sons. He's going to have Mosiah, um, verse 10. Mosiah brought before him, and these are the words which he spake. My son, I would that ye should make a proclamation throughout all the land among all this people, uh, or the people of Zarahemla, uh, who dwell in the land, that thereby they may be gathered together. Now, remember in the ver in beginning of verse um, 1, it mentions there were no more contention in the land. So what would they be contending about? Uh, remember that uh, we have three groups of people here. Uh, we have uh, Mosiah's group of people. Um, we had, for a little while anyway, we had uh, Coriantumr, who was from the Jaredite group. But we also have the Mulekites. Remember, the Mulekites came. They are descendants of Judah. And the uh, the patriarchal promise that Judah was given was that they would have the rights to leadership. So I'm wondering if maybe uh, some of those that were of the tribe of Judah thought that maybe they should have the king, whereas uh, uh, King Benjamin, who is a descendant of Nephi, is the king. And so maybe what's going on here, too, is that he is establishing and making it clear who the new king is going to be so that there's not any disputing among them, uh, maybe from those of the tribe of Judah. So that's just a thought that, uh, that maybe what's going on here to kind of set the tone for why it was necessary that King Benjamin make this big deal about King uh, about Mosiah being the king. So um, anyway, that's what's going on here. We have these two groups of people, um, the Mulekites and the, and the Nephites, uh, with Mosiah as their leader, uh, living together. Uh, so that's kind of the beginning of that is just setting the stage for the meeting that's going to happen at the temple. Uh, so let's move on then to chapter 2. So this is um, going to be that where the people are all gathered. Um, it mentions in verse 1 that they're gathered to the temple. And uh, to hear the words of King Benjamin, as I mentioned, this is similar to uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. So this may have happened in the fall of the year um, when uh, they would have had uh, um, these festivals. Let me just read you from um, John Welch. He says, because the introduction of this occasion is explicitly connected with the law of Moses, we may legitimately look to the scriptures for an explanation of the type of festival to which the people were invited. Zink and, and Welch have examined the possible connection and link between Benjamin's speech to the Autumn Festival complex. Specifically, they note, of the three annual festival times in ancient Israel, the Autumn Festival complex was the most important and certainly the most popular in ancient Israel. In early times, apparently it was called the Feast of Ingathering. Uh, according to many scholars, the various components of the Autumn Festival were celebrated as a single season of celebration in the early, earliest periods of Israelite history. Its many elements were not sharply differentiated until later times when the first day of the seventh month became Rosh Hashanah, or the New Year, followed by eight days of penitence, then followed on the tenth day of the, of the month by Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and on the fifteenth day by Sukkot, which is the Festival of the Tabernacles, concluding with a full Holy Week. And so that's kind of the, the whole festival. And you can kind of see uh, some similarities here also with uh, potential events surrounding the second coming. Uh, when we talk about uh, the ingathering, that would be the, the harvest. Uh, and that's what the second coming will be, is the harvesting of the, the righteous and the gathering of the wicked in one place and the destruction of the wicked or the separation of the wheat and the tares. Uh, the Day of Atonement, which would be the, 
or the Rosh Hashanah, which is the new year, which is when they crown the king, which could be when Jesus is coronated as, as king of kings at the meeting at Adam on Diamond in Missouri. And then uh, the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Day of Atonement, um, when penitence and forgiveness are given to the, to the righteous, and then uh, the second coming uh, when everything is gathered together and the field is burned. So there's some possibilities and some, some symbolism there that's kind of uh, important, I think, not to miss. Uh, verse 2, um, there were so many people that they couldn't number them, and, and so they're going to actually have to build a tower so that uh, King Benjamin can stand on the tower. And apparently even that's not going to be big enough or uh, uh, effective enough so that everyone can hear. And so they're actually going to have to write down the words of the talk and have, the, have them read to people in those areas where they can't uh, necessarily hear what's being said. Uh, verse 6, it mentions that they pitched their tents about the temple. Uh, every man having the door thereof toward the temple. Again, this sounds like uh, uh, Feast of Tabernacles where they're, they're in booths or they're in tents, and especially with the door facing the temple. Uh, this is also similar to our general conference, isn't it, where we have uh, uh, we can watch conference from te our televisions at home. Um, again, the tower being built, um, verse 8, uh, the word being written, that's kind of like our ensign when the conference reports are finished. They send that forth. So verse 9 is the beginning of the talk uh, that King Benjamin's giving. Um, and he's, he's basically telling him in verse uh, uh, 10, I'm not, I'm, I didn't call you up here to trivi trivialize this or to, to make you fear me. This is important. Um, I, I want to you know, make this clear who's, who the king's going to be and, and give you a name where, where by which you may, you may be known in the future. And so uh, that's going to be important. Verse 17, he says, I tell you these things that you may learn wisdom, that you may learn that when you are in the service of your fellow beings, you are only in the service of your God. He is claiming here that he's just a regular man. He's just a person. And that's kind of a shock to the people that are listening because they always thought that the king was a little bit more than human or more than uh, mortal, I guess. Uh, verse 21, he says, I say unto you that if you should serve him all, if he should serve him who has created you from the beginning and is preserving you from day to day by lending you breath, that you may live and move and do according to your own will and even supporting you from one moment to another. I say, if you should serve him with all your whole souls, yet you would be unprofitable servants. And that's kind of how we are, isn't it? That we we're doing the best we can uh, but to God. We will always be unprofitable. Uh, and so we need to rely mostly upon him. Uh, the Redeemer, because he does everything for us uh, to make it possible for us to even return to him. Um, in verse 22, he says, all that, you, all that he requires of you is to keep his commandments. And he has promised you that if you would keep his commandments, you should prosper in this land. And he never doth vary from that which he had said. Uh, in the first place, he created you and granted unto you your lives. Uh, and secondly, he doth require that you should do as he commanded you. So that's not that much to ask for for all that he's given us he just asks us to keep his commandments and do the best we can and when we make mistakes to repent and return unto him down to verse 30 then he mentions that uh, my son mosiah is a king and a ruler over you uh he's so that's the announcement that uh, mosiah is going to be the king from now on after uh, benjamin steps down um and then he talks here about uh being uh, being obedient to the commandments of god um, Verse 38, if a man repents not and remains and dies an enemy to God, the demands of divine justice do awaken his immortal soul to a lively sense of his own guilt. So we need to make sure that we're repenting and continually do, doing that. I think it was Brother Nibley that said that a, the definition of a righteous person is one who's always repenting. 
uh, down to verse 41. Moreover, I would desire that you should consider on the blessed and happy state of those that keep my commandments or keep the commandments of God. For behold, they are blessed in all things, both temporal and spiritual. And if they hold out faithful to the end, they are received into heaven, that thereby they may dwell with God in a state of never-ending happiness. Oh, remember that these things are true, for the Lord God has spoken it. Joseph Smith said that, the ha that happiness is the object and design of our existence and will be the end thereof if we pursue the path that leads to it. And this path is virtue, uprightness, faithfulness, holiness, and keeping all the commandments of God. He never will institute an ordinance or give a commandment to his people that is not calculated in its nature to promote that happiness which he has designed. So that's the object of our existence is to be happy. So then Mosiah chapter 3 is basically a quote here by an angel. Um, King Benjamin is going to just tell the people at this conference uh, what the angel has told him to say. And so that's uh, what's happening here. It's interesting in verse 1, he says, again, my brethren, I would call your attention. So it makes it look like uh, maybe while Benjamin is speaking that the kids are becoming a little rowdy. Their parents can't pay really much attention. So he's calling their attention back to, all right, now pay attention to the things I'm going to tell you. Uh, then in verse 2, he says, The things which I shall tell you are made known unto me by an angel of God. And so this is going to be significant. This isn't just Benjamin coming up with a talk, but the angel is going to help him with it. But isn't that how even our general conference talks are, is that they're inspired by the Holy Ghost on the things that they should say. And as it mentions in the Book of Mormon, the angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost. And so that's uh, it's, it's the same for us today, that the conference talks are also inspired. And those are words of angels as well. Uh, he mentions in verse 7 in talking about um, the, the Savior and what he's going to do. Uh, he shall suffer temptations and pain of body, hunger, thirst, and fatigue, even more than man can suffer except it be unto death, uh, because um, blood comes out of every pore. Uh, so great shall be his anguish for the wickedness and the abominations of his people. And so we know that uh, that, that clarifies that Jesus actually did bleed from every pore. And uh, there are those in other Christian religions that don't quite believe that, but that's uh, what we understand to be true. Um, also, um, it mentions in verse 16, if it were possible, the little children could sin. So even they back then knew that children uh, weren't accountable until they reached the age of accountability, which we know to be eight years old. And so that was something that was known back then. Down to verse 19, for the natural man is an enemy to God and has been from the fall of Adam and will be forever and ever unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and putteth off the natural man and becometh a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord and becometh as a child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him, even as a child doth submit to his father. This is probably one of the more significant scriptures in all the scriptures that we have, uh, that we can put off the natural man through our obedience to the commandments. As we repent of our sins, then we, we overcome the fall, in a sense, and uh, can become back into the presence of our Heavenly Father. And so that's, uh, that's the goal that we have, uh, to return back to the presence of God. Uh, verse 20, he says, Moreover, I say unto you that the time shall come when the knowledge of a Savior shall be spread throughout every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And that's truly happened in our day. There are still a few places that aren't that familiar with, with Jesus Christ, but that's becoming uh, less and less all the time. Um, so these are the beginning of uh, King Benjamin's uh, talk, and the, the importance of this speech is uh, very significant. So Benjamin here in these first few verses is mentioning that the way that we can become saints is to be is to be humble, to be as little children, to have faith in Christ, to yield to the enticings of the Holy Ghost, 
to put off the natural man, to be submissive, meek, patient, and full of love, and willing to submit to the Lord, all through the atonement of Christ. So that's kind of the key to our success here in mortality, is to do these things. I bear testimony to the truth of this, and that these things are, are going to cause us or help us to return back to the presence of God. This is a true work and a true, uh, true book and a true translation. I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time.